Welcome to The Real News Network and welcome to Reality Asserts Itself. Well, at the end of part six of my interview with Thomas Frank, we promised he would be back and we would continue. So here we are, part seven, Reality Asserts Itself with Tom Frank, who now joins us in the studio. Thanks for joining us again. It's my pleasure, Paul. So one more time, Tom is a political analyst, a historian, a journalist, a columnist for The Guardian, and his recent books, L Listen Liberal, and before that, very well known, What's the Matter with Kansas. Uh, when we left off, we said we would pick up the Obama years. Um, I, I guess the, the question I have is, is that there is a constant, endless critique, as you mentioned in a couple of your articles, of Trump by the leadership of the Democratic Party and the whole media punditry yeah. that surrounds the leadership of the Democratic Party. And of course, deservedly so, in terms of Trump, but barely even a reflection on why there is a Trump, how a climate <laughs> denier gets elected president, how a Trump gets elected president. If the Clinton years and the Obama years were such a success, um, why do we have a Trump? Oh man, that's a big question. That's a huge question right there, Paul. Uh, if you ask the Democratic Party, they just, you know, they, they would, uh, or, or if you ask the kind of media figures that you're describing, they would just brush it all off and say, you know, because voters are bad or, you know, foolish or something like that. But it, in fact, it's a lot more complicated. One place to start, I mean, a lot of different places you could start in answering this, but we, before the, we started the cameras rolling here, you and I were talking very briefly about when Barack Obama first took office in 2009 and what it was like in this country. And I was one of those people that was very enthusiastic about Barack Obama. And he had a situation, you know, he came into office with an economic situation that really should have, or was uh, the conditions for making him into a Franklin Roosevelt style hero. You know, one of the greatest, uh, you know, most beloved political figures of all time. All the, all the raw material was there. Uh, the economy had been managed into disaster, managed right over a cliff by the George W. Bush people. Actually, managed is the wrong word. It was, you know, they, the the, the uh, regulatory agencies were asleep at the wheel. They weren't, you know, they, they didn't care what was going on. They were just, you know, doing everything they could to allow the banks to hand out liars' loans and all the rest of this. All this crazy, crazy stuff had been going on. Here comes Barack Obama. It's the perfect opportunity. I mean, it's just like uh, in 1932, very, very similar situation. Uh, he has the perfect oppor opportunity to clean up in the way that Franklin Roosevelt did uh, and to make himself beloved forever. When, when, and, when he was elected, we got eight years of the Bush administration, yeah. a completely disastrous war, yes, and a crash which... And don't forget wasn't Hurricane Katrina. Remember that? The Katrina. And, and the Jack Abramoff lobbying scandal. The, 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 the Republican Party, and in fact, you know, the conservative philosophy was an incredibly bad odor back then. And when, when this happened, when Barack Obama, who, remember, was the unlikeliest candidate of them all, first of all, he's black, which we never had a black president before, that used to be regarded as something that was impossible, remember? And he was, then there's all these other factors. He was from a northern state. He'd been born in Hawaii. Why, you know, uh, he was outside of the mainstream in a hundred different ways. He's also uh, unusually smart, this wonderful orator. You know, he had all of these things. He, he was a total uh, outlier, politically speaking. To me, he seemed perfect. 
to, to me, he seemed like this was the exactly, I thought he was Franklin Roosevelt all over again. Well, he had the moment and he controlled he had Congress. The moment we had the man and is what I thought. And, and controlled Congress. Yeah, and controlled Congress. And had he played, I still think that had he played his cards right, uh, we would be in, you know, it'd be Hil- we'd be well into Hillary Clinton's t- you know, term and there'd be another one yet to come and they'd still be adding achievement after achievement in the way that the New Deal did in the 30s. It went on until, uh, when did Truman finally leave office? 1953, you know. Uh, but that's not what happened. I remember lots of articles, predictions, that the Republican Party might not get elected to the presidency again for generations. The Bush administration was so discredited. Yeah. Well, you know, Obama didn't play his, the hand that history dealt him. He didn't play it exactly right. And the Republicans did play the game very, very well. I mean, the Republicans are always, they're, they're, ex, they're exceptionally good at the political game. Uh, and Barack Obama, I mean, we can go down the list of things that, you know, mistakes that he made, uh, which if you ask me are all mistakes of not being forceful enough, not going far enough. Uh, but after you see the guy making three or four of them in a row, you start saying, well, you know, maybe it's just, it, it, maybe he's not Franklin Roosevelt. Maybe he really, his heart really isn't in, into this project. Well, he, he, he seemed to be really a continuation of Clinton-esque kind of economics and policy. So let, why don't we start with... I think he was tougher than Clinton, though, but not by a whole lot. And the, but therein lies the, I mean, that's the failure. This is the problem, is that Barack Obama inherited from his predecessor, Bill Clinton, inherited a party that had become identified with Wall Street, uh, you know, very, very close to Wall Street. By the way, you remember in the Podesta emails that got leaked by WikiLeaks? Do you remember this in there? Uh, the, 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 the press covered them at great you know, in great detail, as they had to do with Hillary Clinton's campaign, her speeches to Goldman Sachs, that sort of thing. But there was an email in there that was uh, about, that concerned the 08 campaign, that was much more revealing than some of the later stuff. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it was uh, an email, sort of round-robin email a bunch of, with a bunch of different participants, and they're choosing Barack Obama's cabinet. Right. This is in October of with 2008. Goldman Sachs being one of the people. Well, it wasn't <laughs> Goldman Sachs, it was Citibank. Mm. But they're, they're going around and choosing, this is before the election, this is in October of 2008, but they're choosing the cabinet members, and the, the choices actually were correct. This is who actually later became members of the, of the cabinet. And the guy who's in charge of the emails is, is a, using his Citibank email address. Well, in, in spite of Bill Clinton's fidelity to Wall Street and how he helps turn the Democratic Party into a much more fully Wall Street-controlled party, Obama actually raised more money on Wall Street than, yeah. oh, than, he was, than it was amazing. Than he the raised Republicans more. did. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's more that than Hillary. He more than first, Hillary did. He's, he was the first uh, Democrat to, to 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 do that to be able to outraise the Republicans. But also outraised Hillary. He, is on that right? Wall Street, so yeah. he, but he outraised the Republicans outright, and he also outraised them on Wall Street, which was a first for a Democrat. And uh, I mean, to make a very long story short, he never got tough with them in the way that they needed. To, the, the, the way what needed to happen never never took place. And what I mean, what needed to happen was he had to come down like a ton of bricks on these guys and on fraud. And you know, when Bernie Sanders says that the um, what is it, the business model of Wall Street is fraud, it's an exaggeration, but not much of one. And this was incredibly painfully obvious uh, after the financial crisis. And everybody, and I mean Republicans included, assumed that Barack Obama was going to be the new sheriff who comes in and cleans house. Everybody thought this. 
because why do they think that? Because that's what happened last time. Actually, you know? we didn't think that. You go back and watch the real news coverage. <laughs> yeah, of course. We didn't you are think so that. cynical, Paul. Well, I wasn't cynical. <laughs> I, I actually read Obama's speeches. Yeah. There was just no reason to think it. Yeah. If you just, he, he was just wonderful at making a, such a lovely, smart smile that everyone read into it what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. But he actually never said these things. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, that's what, that's what needed to happen, and that's what people assumed would happen. By the way, Republicans can get tough with bankers, too. They've, they've, Lord knows they did it uh, with uh, George Bush Sr. when you had the uh, savings and loan uh, debacle back in the 1980s, uh, and they prosecuted thousands of these guys, uh, of bank owners, uh, with his son, George Bush Jr. I know he's not really Jr., but George W. Bush. Uh, actually went after, had to uh, prosecute his own friends at Enron. You remember how close they were to the administration? And that, uh, I think, showed some real, um, uh, you know, the, the, some adulthood from George W. Bush. This is a president that I really disliked, but you got to hand it to him. He actually went after those guys. Um, uh, Barack Obama didn't do that. Well, let's, let's go back and just start with the, which what I think are the more modern roots of Obama politics, which is Clinton in the 90s, yeah. where you started having a, a real undoing of not just what's left of the New Deal, but also a lot of the reforms in the 1960s. You know, yeah, used to, that's right. Well, Bill Clinton is, uh, is regarded, and I think correctly so, as a you know, very a historical figure of great significance and importance. Now, the historians who love him, and they, they do, they, they write these biographies of him about what a, great, what a great president he was and how he was so health-giving for the Democratic Party and the nation as a whole, and uh, such a wonderful, wonderful president. And they wrote those things right after, you know, he, right after he was done being president. He, he doesn't look so good today. Uh, because if you think about the things that he actually got done, they weren't particularly healthful. And they weren't particularly democratic either. Uh, democratic with an uppercase. Go through key. some so, of the key so, examples. So Bill Clinton yeah. had, if you read the biographers who love him, if you read his fans, if you read books by his uh, admirers, not by the people who think he's a drug dealer and a murderer and all that, but the people who really like him, they'll always point you to five things that he accomplished as president, big things, capital letter things, that he got done as president. And if you go back over the list, every single one of them is a Republican thing, a Republican measure. The first one was NAFTA which was negotiated by uh, George Bush Sr. Uh, and, but the Republicans couldn't get it through Congress, right? Because Congress, of course, was controlled by Democrats back then. And Democrats hated NAFTA, <laughs> you know? Democrats were the party of organized labor. Bill Clinton ended that. Bill Clinton ran a steamroller over those Democrats and got NAFTA passed. The second one was uh, the crime bill of 1994, mass incarceration. Um, the third one was bank deregulation and telecom deregulation. Fourth one was uh, welfare reform. <laughs> and the fifth one is a balanced budget. Now, with the exception of that last one, the balanced budget, you could argue that either way. All of these were disasters. All of these, all of these. Especially were disasters. disasters for African Americans. That's right. And all of them were uh, Republican measures. Uh, welfare reform, I mean, Bill Clinton had said he was going to get it done. You know, he, he even campaigned on it. Uh, but what he eventually signed off on was terrifying. You know, they did away with, by the way, when you're talking about the undoing of the New Deal over the years, you know, Reagan had a hand in that, the Bushes had a hand in that, but the guy that undid the biggest New Deal program, and I mean abolished it, was Bill Clinton, and the program was AFDC, uh, otherwise known as welfare, and it had existed since 1935. Uh, by the way, Clinton also 
wanted to partially privatize Social Security. Social Security is the real prize. Uh, this is what conservatives are really after. The day they can finally get rid of that, the most popular uh, government program in America and the, the foundation of the welfare state. You know, because people love and trust Social Security, therefore they're open to other programs that you might devise, like say Medicare or something like that. So it's obviously the thing that's in the crosshairs, right? Social Security. And Bill Clinton came far closer than anybody else to um, doing away with it, to turning, it, turning the money over to, into a mandatory retirement savings program and giving it to Wall Street. Uh, and in fact, would have done it had it all planned out with Newt Gingrich, who was his, remember they were supposedly these arch enemies, do you remember this? They're, you know, but behind the scenes they actually got along quite well and they had planned the privatization of Social Security and it was basically a done deal uh, and then the Monica Lewinsky scandal happened and she literally saved this country from, <laughs> from doing away, privatizing Social Security. She's kind of a hero. Mm. And of course, the Rust Belt gets a heck of a lot rustier during Clinton's yeah. Clinton. Yes, years. and inequality soared. Uh, the, remember, the, you had this incredible stock market boom. Uh, you had various kinds of tax cuts under Bill Clinton, um, uh, and you know the balancing of the budget. But the, uh, it, the, the, the there, it was a bubble. The stock market was a bubble in those days, and it was a bubble specifically in two of the two fields where he had achieved deregulation: the banks and telecoms. And the telecoms went absolutely crazy in the 1990s, and so did the bank stocks. Remember, all the big uh, Wall Street firms went public at this time. Uh, and this was the bubble. And it went you know, up and up and up. And I wrote a book during the, the height of the bubble days. Uh, this will bring you way back. It was called One Market Under God. And I wrote this in 1998 and 1999. And I would have CNBC, you know, the stock market channel, which was brand new at the time. And I would have that on my TV set in my office, blaring all day long, listening to that chatter. You know, they'd interview the CEOs. They had a CEO wealth meter where they'd be like, you know, which CEO is richer than which other CEO today? This is in the 90s, and it was, uh, it, it, you know, it was this incredible hypnotic good feelings that were going, everybody was getting rich, everybody believed in it, and then it all fell apart. Uh, 2000, 2001, you know, the bottom came out, and, you know, the NASDAQ, it went all the way up to 5,000, and then fell all the way back down to, I forget what, like 1,500 or something, just a, a classic, uh, a classic bubble. And um, that's not really a good foundation to base your economy on. So, so then we jump to the Obama years, and yeah. you've got this moment, as you said but earlier. Wait, 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 I, I don't know where we're going to go with this conversation, but I want you to remember what I just said about Clinton and the bubble economy, because it's going to come back. Well, so we're in a similar situation right now. Yeah, well, then you had the housing bubble. That actually got its start in the very late 90s. Clinton was president, and uh, it kept going. And the housing bubble, of course, eventually exploded. But we're, I'm, what I was referring to is right now with Donald Trump in the White House. But yeah, then you had the housing bubble. It's funny, bubble after bubble after bubble. And, and the uh, presidency, an extension of Wall Street. The, the financial yeah. team of the president is, is so a the, Wall the, Street the team. Who, the and Obama would, picks up the same people. That's right. And I'm sorry, I left that piece uh, out of the puzzle. But uh, when you go back and read the books that admire Bill Clinton, as I said, the biographers that are fans of Bill Clinton, that's one of his great achievements, is that he reunites the Democratic Party and Wall Street. They've been enemies ever since Franklin Roosevelt. Actually, it, they've been enemies much longer than that, going back William Jennings Bryan, Andrew Jackson, Thomas Jefferson. All the, the history of the Democratic Party up till Bill Clinton is a history of hating banks. 
And here comes Bill Clinton, I mean, right? Jefferson versus Hamilton, right? And here comes, by the way, there's another story, right? Now the Democratic Party loves Alexander Hamilton. We'll talk about that some other time. That'll be conversation 23 or something, okay? But here's Bill Clinton. He totally reverses this. And his idea is to make the Democratic Party into the party of Wall Street. And he succeeds at this. This is amazing. So, you know, uh, you know he does it for, well, I don't know, I mean, we, the, the reasons that he does it are, are uh, they're not that complicated. That's where the money is. Uh, Bill Clinton and the whole Clinton faction in the Democratic Party, the Democratic Leadership Council, they're called at the time. They have a different name today. But uh, they believe that Democrats have to match Republicans dollar for dollar in fundraising if they're going to be competitive in national elections. Have to match them dollar for dollar. Uh, and so that's part of it is reaching out to Wall Street. You have to become, if you're going to do that, if you're going to fundraise on that level, you have to become a different party. And they're totally convinced they cannot fight the Republicans without Wall Street money. Right. Or, or the money of billionaires somewhere else. And there's also, they love Wall Street because it's their kind of industry. It's run by highly educated people. It doesn't pollute or it doesn't appear to pollute. It's, uh, uh, it's creative. You know, they, they, they talk, we talk about financial innovation in those days. You know, uh, it employs a lot of economists. You know, it, look, Larry Summers was, was Treasury Secretary. These are their people. And you look at the history of all of these Democrats that worked under Bill Clinton and then resurfaced in the Obama administration, and they all spent a, a certain amount of time on Wall Street at an investment bank or a venture capital firm or something like that. They just spend a little time there. They become millionaires. And then they go back into politics, you know. All of them. Not all of them. There's some exceptions. But now, most of them. This is not to suggest the Bush years were in any way unfriendly to Wall no, no, Street. No, that's right. The Republicans still They opened up the piggy right. bank perhaps even more. <laughs> yes. They had their Goldman Sachs guy. The Democrats have their guy from Goldman Sachs, and the Republicans have their guy from Goldman Sachs. But when know. Obama comes, he, he's, he is the Wall Street candidate. Yeah. Yeah, well, he didn't seem like that, He didn't, look, well, he didn't it, seem like that. And he I'm didn't wear it on his... On his there, so I'm referring specifically to a famous speech that he gave in 08 at Cooper Union in New York City. Our free market was never meant to be a free license to take whatever you can get, however you can get it. That's why we've put in place rules of the road to make competition fair and open and honest. We've done this not to stifle but rather to advance prosperity and liberty. As I said at NASDAQ last September, the core of our economic success is the fundamental truth that each American does better when all Americans do better. That the well-being of American business, its capital markets, and its American people are aligned. And I think that all of us here today would acknowledge that we've lost some of that sense of shared prosperity. Now, this loss has not happened by accident. It's because of decisions made in boardrooms, on trading floors, and in Washington. Under Republican and Democratic administrations, we failed to guard against practices that all too often rewarded financial manipulation instead of productivity and sound business practices. We let the special interests put their thumbs on the economic scales. The result has been a distorted market that creates bubbles instead of steady, sustainable growth. A market that favors Wall Street over Main Street, but ends up hurting both. And it was, it was great, where he uh, gave a description of the financial crisis and of what ailed us. And people like me, hearing this speech, said, hey, he's on our side. He understands. He sees what, what the, the errors of deregulation were.
And by the way, just to, I know what you're going to say next, so let me throw this out there. Yes, it was Bill Clinton that overturned, um, not just got Glass-Steagall overturned, but so many other banking rules overturned during the 1990s on the grounds that we didn't need them anymore. Banks could self-regulate. They were inventing these derivatives that would uh, minimize risk. It was so amazing. It was a new economy. I don't know if you remember this. Bubble thing, but, would never end. Right, right. And it, but it was, it was, it was because they had, you know, computers and they could now devise these financial instruments that were so wonderful. It was, a, in a funny way, a, a version of uh, trickle-down economics. Instead, of, it was the bubble would be so big, everyone would get yeah, on the bubble. Everybody get a piece of it. Yeah, yeah. Of course, everyone but did it, get a piece but of it, it when but it this blew is up. All, so when I wrote that, remember I was telling you about that book that I wrote in the 1990s. The point of comparison, of course, is the 1920s. And and people had all the same fantasies and dreams in the 1920s about the stock market as they then recapitulated in the 1990s. I mean, sometimes word for word, you know, saying the same things. But the idea in, it, when you have these incredible bull markets, these bubbles, the idea, it always occurs to everyone simultaneously that this is a democratic bubble. This is going to include all of us. Everyone's going to get rich. <laughs> it always happens. And of course, a lot of, a lot of people do their houses start to be sure. more valued everyone feels like they are sharing yeah. in it except that people it, get mutual funds that's always a big it is unreal it is a bubble yeah. and the bubble yeah. bursts and every, everybody's house is now yeah. underwater and they and they thank god for social security again they're like oh my god they, we good thing we didn't privatize that you know because then we'd really be screwed and they always are very happy then that they didn't <laughs> you know follow through on the on the belief i don't know i have i have a Elderly parents, and I thank God every day for Franklin D. Roosevelt and Social Security because if it wasn't for that, I mean, you know, there's no stock market in the world that's going to be. Uh, You've been, we're going to do three segments today. We're going to do the move to a second segment. I hope you'll join us for it. I want to talk about why people voted for Trump and, this, and, and the connection with yeah. this, with the inability, reluctance, refusal of, of the Democratic Party leadership and to some extent even Bernie Sanders to critique Obama. Yeah. Because if the Obama, as I said in the beginning, if the Obama years are such, such a great success, yeah. you don't get a Trump at the end of that. So we'll do another segment. We're going to continue with Tom on Reality Asserts Itself. Please don't forget we're in our winter fundraising campaign. Every dollar you donate gets matched with a dollar. It's a very important campaign for us. It funds a lot of our uh, activity and work in 2018. And if you like series like Reality Asserts Itself, uh, it only happens because you donate. So somewhere around this video is, is a donate button. Please uh, click on it if you haven't already. Uh, thanks for joining us and please join us for the next in our series on Reality Asserts Itself.